640 Toronto presents Think Tank, the breaking stories you care about. Please tell me. Okay, I'll tell you. The backstories you don't know yet. That's my question. Facts and opinions that get you through your day. You never know what you're going to get. And now let's meet the guests. Let's do it. We're ready. It's Think Tank. It's our morning staple between 7.30. We run it all the way up to the 8 o'clock news and then some, or less than this, then some, whatever. Uh, it's 7.36 on 640 Toronto. So let's meet our guest. She is former deputy mayor of the city. She is Anna Bailau. It's great to have you back on. Good morning, Greg. Great to be here with you. Good morning. Thanks for doing this uh, pre-Thanksgiving weekend. And Mohamed Faki, our guest entrepreneur and activist, founder of Paramount Fine Foods. How's how's Thanksgiving shopping going with customers? People are getting what they need. Why wait till Friday at 6 p.m., right? Oh, for sure. It's amazing. (laughs) And I'm looking forward for this weekend, cooking a lot of meals in the Regent Park this weekend for people who are in need and serving them on tables. Hopefully they feel that they can get that family feeling of getting together and having a turkey in Regent Park in uh, right on uh, the uh, 40 Oak Street. If uh, you know someone that needs that turkey, let them come. I'm glad you said that. We think about it at Christmas. We talk a lot about it at Christmas. Sometimes we undersell the need to reach out to people who are alone or are in need on Thanksgiving weekend. So I'm glad you brought that up. Let's get into our topics. Uh, an apology came from CN Rail about this outage that brought Toronto's rush hour to a halt on Tuesday. Cyber attacks, certainly something governments plan for now. Businesses do. School boards face ransomware attacks. I live in Durham. That happened to the Durham District School Board uh, for over a week uh, last fall. Anna, let me start with you. Is this our new reality with technology? You've been at a high level of municipal government. You know that cities prepare so that their software, their infrastructure isn't affected. It doesn't look like that's what this was, but it just feels like the Tuesday is a great example. One network goes down, CN, and it affects VIA and the Up Express and Metrolinks and on and on down the line. And, you know, an apology uh, is, is great. It's the right thing for them to do, but... For me, and I'm sure any uh, user, what they want to hear is, how is this going to be prevented? Mm -hmm. How do we prevent this from happening again? How can people make sure that they can count on that train to get them home and they don't have to spend hundreds of dollars on Uber or hours uh, on end uh, on uh, waiting for a train? So that is, for me, uh, the most important thing that we need to get out of uh, CN and and both Metrolinks is how do we uh, prevent this from happening? The system is getting bigger and bigger. More people are using it. This is exactly what we want. And for that, people need to feel like they have a system that is reliable. So how do we um, ensure that people are confident on the system? Mm -hmm. And for that, we need an answer from uh, these organizations uh, and a plan on how they're going to prevent this from happening again. Yes, a contingency plan, but if the system is getting bigger, how they're going to address this, given that all these uh, companies are operating from uh, the same system. Mohammed, we're all consumers at the end of the day, aren't we? And, and transit's no different. We wouldn't go to a restaurant that had bad service. We wouldn't shop at a store where people didn't understand what we needed or or there was there was just something that, that was in the way of good customer service. Transit shouldn't, it should be expected that there's a baseline, but they also should explain when something goes wrong, as Anna said. Oh, absolutely. I agree with Anna. And, uh, you know, they should just uh, do, they do the right thing. They apologize, but they need to explain how to prevent it for sure. So I fully agree. Look, technology is not perfect, but we need to keep up with that and understand it. We need to uh, definitely uh, do something about all that, what could disrupt it and the bad actors. But we do have to put up with it. 
while trying to keep improving our defenses. Yeah, I agree 100%. Consumers won't be happy. And it's the right thing to do to explain to them after apologizing. But at the end of the day, it wasn't this time a cyber attack. And it seems we always go to that assumption. And you probably heard from tons of people on Tuesday making contingency plans. I got a direct message on Twitter from a a gentleman. He's a single father. It was his time with the kids, and they both need to be somewhere. So he hopped in an Uber. He sent me his receipt, $128 from Union Station to get to basically the tip of Scarborough Rouge. And he's like, there's nowhere to go for this money. I had to pay this money to get home and make sure my kids got to where they get to go. There's no recourse, it feels. Even the airlines will work with you sometime. There's no recourse when something like this happens. Absolutely. There's no recourse, and this affected thousands and thousands of families uh, in, in the region. And the first thing that, that comes to my mind, you know, uh, being, you know, talked a lot about, you know, the city and, and mm-hmm. our downtown and the state of our downtown and how we want people to come back to, to the office and come back to work. You know, this is, this is huge. This is big. You know, people need to make sure that uh, they have reliable public transportation. The region is growing. We need to get people out of the cars and into a system. And reliability is huge. And reliability uh, to get people to their jobs and to the downtown for our downtown recovery, that's huge. And that's why it is so important that we get these companies to tell us, you know, yes, apologize. Uh, but this was the issue, and here are we're gonna. He's here's how we're gonna deal with this uh, in the future to make sure that this does not become uh, a normal thing, and we don't normalize it. And let me stick with you here because you'd have the answer. People know who listen, and they don't. Metrolinx is owned by the Ontario government, but. There ends up being a, a, an endemic responsibility is the best way I can put it to the city of Toronto. They, it was created basically, what, 15, 16 years ago to make sure that all modes of transportation get integrated. If, 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 you were, if you were the mayor of this city, is there a conversation you have with Metrolinx? They look like an innocent bystander at this, but I'm sure you'd want to communicate with them and say, what happened? How do we address it? How, do, how can we stop it from happening again? Exactly. Absolutely. How are we, you know efficiently dealing with this uh, with this issue. You know, of course, we want uh, our systems to be integrated. Of course, we want them to be uh, uh, working with each other. Um, You know, there's like I said, there's only one taxpayer, but there's clearly something here that didn't work that has a huge impact on on the region, on the city and most importantly, on people's lives. All right. Absolutely. We uh, need to look into this. Let's stay Uh, on. Yeah, go ahead. There is one point. Yeah, there is one point here that is important. I agree fully with Anna on everything, but there is should be an accountability. And the person that had to pay one hundred twenty eight dollars from their weekly income. That's always we always think top to bottom. Let's think the other way around. The people $128 is a lot of money for someone. So that accountability should be beyond and much bigger than, uh, you know, just making calls and politicians telling Metrolinks what to do. We should have a way to pay back these people. People need to really start believing in the system more. And I don't personally. I let it go. A lot of people let it go and a lot of people can afford to let it go. But what about the people that can't afford to let it go and pay that money? Mohammed, you make such a great point, and it leads me to something Absolutely. that I didn't bring up with you. But that person who spent the 128 bucks, he probably drives next time. And Anna, you, me, many people say, take public transit. It's the heart and pulse of our yeah. city. That guy won't do it again if because I'll say, why? I always say to people, why are you driving here? Why are you driving there? Well, because I know my car works. And if something goes wrong with the car, by the way, they take it back to the dealer and say, I need this. This You said this was fixed and it wasn't. And the dealer will be like, you're a great customer. You're right. I'll fix it for you. We don't have any of that with public transit, it feels like. 
Yeah, it's the confidence in the system, right? And that's mm. what this eats at. It's the confidence that people will have in the system and the reliability of the system. And, and, and this, these, these incidents have a huge impact on it. All right, let's stick here on this uh, open date for the Eglinton Crosstown. Sabrina Nanji, uh, reporter for the QP Observer, was on with Alex Pearson yesterday, and she said this about when we could finally utilize the Eglinton Crosstown LRT. The Provincial Transit Agency is working with a specific timeline. Um, now, you know, I just want to preface this by saying that the, the, the agency says they're 90% sure <laughs> that it will happen. But internally, they are, they are working with a timeline that this will be up and running by the end of 24. Uh, so I think we can expect this might be the, the Christmas gift, uh, you know, a long overdue Christmas gift to the city. All right, Mohammed, I, th- I think you'd agree in private enterprise. No one accepts a job done this poorly. It takes this long. It never gets explained. It's gone the wrong way so many times, as, as Anna knows. And I'm sure she's chomping at the bit to get at this one. So you tell me again, 15 months from now, a 90 percent chance of opening is hardly a guarantee. Most of us can't plan 15 hours in advance. What do you make of this? Well, number one, this one has touched me personally, and I'll tell you how. But that's true. It's unacceptable in the private sector. But I do want to point out that there is a private sector consortium that has so far seemed incapable of finishing building this very important piece of transit infrastructure. It's not government building it, but it's the government agency that should be doing better and telling us what's going on, like the previous story. What their best estimate for completing and the start date of this project? I do wonder, though, whether Metrolinx, the, provi- the provincial agency that we're counting on to tell us what's going on has been prohibited by the federal government from giving us the information that we, uh, we all deserve. I'm just going to let you know, we had a paramount on Young and Eglinton yeah. that we struggled for three and a half years paying a $26,000 rent. And the construction was right in front of our door. We were like, was taping around our door. So to get in, you have to go around all the cones and the taping to come in to buy a shawarma, basically. So that's gone for too long. And then the pandemic ended that investment for that franchisee and for Paramount. So uh, those uh, issues and not having a start date and an ending yeah. date affect people, affect everyday people, affect investment, affect the landlord mm. and our street. So, uh, you know, we have suffered, a lot of businesses did too, And you know what? They need to tell people what's going on once again, like we just spoke about CN Rail. Anna, you've lived this as a politician on city council, deputy mayor, tremendously frustrating for Mayor Tory at the time for you. I don't doubt it's frustrating for Mayor Chow right now. What do we even say about this anymore? This makes my blood boil because like the the situation that uh, Mohammed described about his business, there's hundreds of business, small business that some of them didn't survive. You know, people that live in that area that have seen the construction for years and years and can't get into those stations that are finished to get into the system. And, you know, it just goes on. And and it seems like there's there's no accountability again in, in with this project. And when you have billions of dollars and other lines starting construction, government investing in much needed public transportation and public transit in our city, how are we ensuring that first there's accountability here and and that, uh, you know, Metrolinx needs to give us a date? I mean, government needs to you know, put a, a line on the sand and and and, and uh, set the expectations that we need uh, a, a date and a plan to get this thing uh, finished. Uh, but also 
to ensure that the same things that happen on this line don't happen in other major projects that we're now doing all around the city and around the region as well. There's billions of dollars being invested. Other parts of the city that are just starting major construction projects. What has been learned? How did this uh, private-public partnership work and didn't work? And what have governments learned from here? We haven't heard any of that. How are we making sure that the Ontario line doesn't turn into this? How are we making sure that other projects, other LRT projects, don't turn out like this? Um, and, and, you know, when is enough going to be enough? And we're going to say, Metrolink, we need a plan. Anna, you, you made a great point. I want to come back with you on it because if, if we're going to develop Ontario Place, if, if some of this is going ahead and it was a campaign issue for you as well, then you, you, the, the success of the project, the success of the businesses, waterfront restaurants, renting boats, whatever, it hinges upon public transit being able to get to Ontario Place. And if there's a four or five year delay, those businesses don't have a chance. I really don't believe they do. No, they'll never survive. And, and the city is growing so fast, right? Yeah. Everybody, we, we talk about housing, and I know we're going to be talking about it in, in, in here. You mm-hmm. know, we need all this housing. But we need public transportation as well, because we can't have thousands and thousands of people coming into the, into the region and not have the transportation to move goods and to move mm-hmm. people around in an efficient way and to have projects that go years over budget, billion dollars uh, uh, over budget, and and no accountability whatsoever, it's, it's not acceptable. You're listening to Think Tank 640 Toronto. That's Anna Bailau, former Deputy Mayor Mohamed Faki, is of course with us as well, founder of Paramount Fine Foods. They're bringing some great opinion and energy this morning. Let's get to housing, and Anna, I will start with you here. This jumped out at me. Canada building fewer homes in 2023 than in 2020. I was shocked to read that, because we basically had nine and a half months in 2020, where there wasn't much building we just were at home and and construction almost came to a standstill so is this you know the home planning building game so so very well is this all about interest rates and inflation preventing projects from getting started Greg I usually say that there's three things that you need to get a project going you need you know fast approvals and efficient zoning and so that so all the approvals you need finance obviously you need the project needs to pencil you need the math needs to work and you need labor. You need people to build the project. And right now, we have issues in all of these. It takes too long to get it approved. The zoning is too restrictive. Yes, absolutely. Pen- projects are not penciling in. The market has been extremely, extremely volatile. Interest rates going up every few months. You know, this month, the project works. A few months go by, interest rates go, and the project doesn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. And then we have a shortage of labor. So when we hear politicians and i've been there you know we announce something and the first question we get asked is will this solve the housing crisis well there's we need to do different things and the different points of the housing spectrum and to touch these three areas because they're all interconnected if you're going to take 10 years to approve a project of course interest rates are going to go up and the math doesn't work as it was working at the beginning and so people put pens down and they don't build the project so all mm. this is so interconnected and because of the volatility of the market what we have had happen with interest rates with people not buying with with people not investing to build the project has had a huge mm. impact but we have issues on all these three areas that need to be addressed Mohammed, when i lay that out and we think oh every level of government saying we're going to build and we're building and mayors are going to be we're going to be yimbies and not nimbies and you hear that stat it's it's just deflating isn't it well, there is, but look, I I agree fully with Anna, but all what I will add to it is one more thing missing always is the political will. And what I think uh, used to be missing, all government now appears to be seized 
by the housing crisis and are acting on many fronts to get more supply on track, which is the most important way forward. I love the federal government, for example, cutting the GST on construction and rental units, which the province followed. And it does seem that now a lot is going to depend on cities getting their zoning right, like Anna said, to drive towards building all kinds of more housing as fast as possible and stop getting in the way of it for sure. But you know what? At the end of the day, in multiple of the mm-hmm. stories that we spoke about, the bottom line, the bottom line, the people that looking for those houses are suffering. The people that lost their businesses on Eglinton, that they're suffering. And yes, we can look at it from 30,000 feet, but we need to really have temporary solution. We need to tell them what to do because people do not deserve to be stressed what to do mm. about housing, what to do about, about a lot of issues, especially in these times and days. Yeah, there certainly is that argument. I, we were, yeah, I, go ahead, Anna. Can I just add something else? I think it's, you know, the, the coordination between what is happening at all levels of government is extremely important. And I want to give a shout out also to the Minister of Housing because he's been actually pushing certain municipalities to deal with, you know, some of these zoning issues because, you know, yes, they've done great work in getting the GST out of the rental. But if, for example, we continue to have zoning restriction, restrictions that don't allow the buildings to, to, to be built, again, that, that, that action is not going to produce the results that we want. So we need coordinations. We need everybody to go into the same direction. I think we, we're, we're really feeling that now that pe- the governments are feeling the urgency, but better coordination and this um, quick urgency and, and, and quick uh, need to act is, is very, very important. Um, no ambulances in Toronto on Monday. Uh, the Toronto Mar- Paramedics Union declared a code red, not because of hospital capacity. We're not in trouble there, but actual vehicles to be sent out. One of the union reps, Peter Shirer, was on our show earlier. I want you to hear what he said. Um, it's a it's a basic uh, increase in the uh, call volume that we've had and a lack of an increase in the, the staffing increases over the, the past years. As long as I've been a paramedic for 20 years, and uh, we've had shortages uh, increasing over that time. And going back to probably 2017, we started to see a, a drastic increase in the number of times that there were no ambulances available during during time. And I think more more interestingly, uh, in 2022, the daily average for times when we didn't have ambulances available was five hours and 36 minutes, or not ambulances available, but had less than 10 ambulances available during that time. So bottom line, Anna, the concept is this union, two of them are saying one this morning, Mike Merriman said it yesterday to a group of media sources, Toronto's not ready for a major disaster. And of course, we hope there wouldn't be anything like it. Terrorism, a chemical leak, a a mass transit accident. But he's saying this shortage of ambulances and a shortage of paramedics, it's a terrible combination. And good on the union to come out and, and, and really alert everybody about the situation. You know, this is the culmination of many things, you know, burnout from staff from the pandemic. The fact that they have a hard time attracting people to come and work in, in Toronto. It's, it's, a, it's an expensive city to live and, and they're competing with other municipalities on attracting their, their uh, paramedics and they're having a hard time. So, you know, the salaries is an issue. The complexity of the issues that they deal with in Toronto, very different from other municipalities, much more complex. 
And again, a very fast growing city uh, with with a lot more population growing very fast and and the system is not growing at the same speed. So uh, kudos on them to bring this up. I think it is uh, imperative that the city deals with this right away uh, in terms of getting more staff, giving the tools to attract more staff. And also, how can we, you know, what, what kinds of calls are they responding? Do we have the most appropriate person uh, or, or professional responding to those calls? How can we ensure that? So that analysis also needs to be to be done as part of the city in a fast growing city that needs to be done. They need, the city needs to work with the union to say, you know, how can we get better working conditions for your people, be able to attract more people and have the most efficient uh, 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 service available for the residents of the city. Mohammed Faki, I got about a minute here of all the things we pay taxes for. We think, well, I want good transit or bike lanes or I want I want the sidewalks clean. When we call 911, we do, it's life or death. We don't want to wait forever. What's the solution here? How, how should we prioritize this? Well, number one, it's a very, very big worry and clearly more resources are needed. But what, what I just heard, actually, I mean, would I have my restaurant running out of food since 2020 every single day and I will not find a solution? I think governments need to come together. This is very important. This is life and death and people deserve it. They pay taxes. Let's get it resolved. I mean, since the 2020, there is times where five, six hours, there is no ambulances. No, that's not acceptable. And again, that mother or father in front of their kids suffering without an ambulance be able to serve them, that's not the Canada that we all love, and that's not our Canadian mm-hmm. dream, and we need to resolve it immediately. If I run out of food, I know the next mm-hmm. day, and the next day I could look at when I had the shortage, and I will go get the supply, get people to cook it, and make sure the customer gets what they want. This is not a customer. These are a human being needing to be looked after, and we should do something about it, and we should do it immediately. And I got about 30 seconds. Uh, the, the union's telling, hey, email your city councilor, email the mayor. What would they do? do would, they, would they find money within their own budget for this, or would they, again, as they often do, have to go upstairs to the Queen's Park, have to go upstairs to Parliament Hill? What would they do? I, you know what? It's setting priorities is essential. And, and as Mohammed was saying, this is some of the most basic services that we need to make sure City Hall is providing. And we mm. want to make sure that politicians understand that residents mm. believe that. And so I want my politician, my local politician, to understand that I feel very strongly that these services, that 911 services are uh, key and that I expect them to invest in these core services, municipal mm. core services that the city needs to deliver and deliver well. This is mm. a life or death situation and there's nothing more important uh, than these services for the city to deliver. Bingo. Mohammed, Anna, thank you so much. You guys were brilliant today and have a great, great holiday weekend. I really appreciate all the time this morning. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you, Anna.